Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everybody to East Meets West here on Suplex Retreat Extra as your monthly dose of everything going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling and by God was there a lot of stuff happening in the month of February in New Japan. Uh, I'm one of your usual hosts Scott McLeod and joined as always by Graham McRobbie. Good evening, it's a pleasure to be here yet again. Yes it certainly is because as I said there was a lot going on in New Japan. We had the New Beginning Tour, we had Sapporo, we had uh, Osaka, and then we found that there, we had the shows at the end of February that we wanted to cover because there were some big title matches on the New Japan Road, and uh, we had two retirement events, so we had a lot on our plate this month, Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Unreal stacked month of February, mm-hmm. and even further stacked month ahead in March as well. Yeah, so as I said before, it never slows down here in New Japan, but we're going to try and break it down as best we can. Hopefully we won't miss anything, but we'll start with day one of New Beginning and Support, which is on the 1st of February. Uh, two very hard-hitting uh, main matches to close the show. The main event, which we'll talk about first, featured Hiroki Goto versus Shingo Takagi. Uh, Shingo earned the shot by pinning Goto back at New Year's Dash. He was already one-third of the never six-man champions. He went in there to try and walk out with double gold and... Shingo Takagi successfully took the Never Open Weight Championship, making Goto, I think, according to the commentators, the 14th man to lose the Never Open Weight title in his first defence, so as a title that is known for quick title changes. Uh, what did you think of this as a main event for day one in Sapporo, and are you happy with the result? I was absolutely delighted with the result. I've been a huge fan of Shingo since he made his debut in the junior division all the way back in 2018 and seeing him go for proper like open weight gold and going against probably the person who's most associated with the open weight open weight belt with with Goto and what was a brutal hard hitting match yeah 100% uh, you see the never title when it was introduced they clearly had like big plans for it it's kind of slipped down the totem pole so that's why I was glad to see it in the main event because the title can be brought back up to province with matches like this and another match we'll talk about in a bit. But a really hard-hitting match, a match worthy of being an event. It had that same hard-hitting style that we've uh, we come to expect from the Never division. And like you said, Goto has become a big part of that division, you know, five-time champ, I believe. But this match is just so hard-hitting. It was going back and forth. Like, there were some very wins-inducing like, spots, like, go to that new version of GTR where it's kind of the jaw first across the knee, which is always hard to watch. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable look, especially when 
whenever when they first kind of done it when he teamed with Ishii and it was like a magic killer into a GTR right in the throat. It's mm-hmm. it's a perfect representation of what the open weight belt represents with hard hitters like Suzuki, Goto, Ishii, Kenta, all being previous holders of the belt. Mm-hmm. And as you said, Jingle came in as a junior and quickly moved up to heavyweight and they've been teasing a myriad of challengers for him. Like we had Sho from Fungi 3K on commentary during his, this match and they're teasing a, maybe a match between those two because, again, it's an open weight so it can go between heavyweights and juniors. Uh and they also talked about Toanari possibly challenging uh, Shingo. So I'm liking that this belt is suddenly feeling like a title that people are wanting to come after. And it finally feels important. I think we were talking about somebody who should be having a long way with the title. I thought it was going to be Kenta, but that proved to be wrong. Uh, turned out it wasn't going to be Koto. I think Shingo is definitely that guy to carry the title for a good while yet and bring it up to prominence. Yeah, I mean, Shingo's got an excitement about him with the fact that he's got the explosive power of a heavyweight, but the speed and agility of a junior. He's, mm-hmm. a, perfect, he's a perfect middle ground for what that belt goes around. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll come back to Shingo a bit because he had a busy month in February. But the co main event, the match that happened just before the Neverwent title, was a match that really showcased a lot of the similar like style that you'd expect in a Never title match. It was Evil, Shingo's uh, LIG stalemate, another third of the six-man champions, taking on Tomohiro Ishii. Now, something that was quite interesting that I didn't actually know about was the commentators talked about how they faced off a lot in uh, singles matches, like I think four or so times, mainly in like, tournaments. But up until this point, Evil had never been able to beat Ishii, and that was just kind of the story of the match. And unfortunately, that still remains as Ishii uh, picked up the win, so Evil still can't seem to beat Ishii. I wasn't aware of this, but I think it actually added a lot to the story they were going to tell in this match. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels between Evil being unable to beat Ishii and even the way Sanada was never able to beat Okada until Mm -hmm. the G1 last year. So Evil still not able to get there yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually come to blows again, perhaps in the New Japan Cup. Definitely, it does seem like it's set up like that way for them to meet either there or maybe in the G1 later this year from a able to finally get that win uh, over Ishii like I said the match itself was a, I think it suited like the build that it got because it kind of the setup to it came out of nowhere at New Year's Dash but you were immediately excited for it because you knew the kind of thing to expect and something I thought was quite interesting was and Sapporo was clearly very much in favour of LIJ like every time an LRG member came out for a match, the crowd were firmly behind them, except in this match, the crowd were actually firmly behind Ishii. And I don't think that's a comment on Evil. I think it's more a case of how popular Ishii is, given that even though he's never actually been like the heavyweight champion, he's never, I don't think he's ever been the guy. Uh, it shows how popular he is with the New Japan faithful over Evil, who's a member of probably the most popular faction in New Japan right now. Yeah, I mean, Ishii's got a very huge following and, I mean, Evil is absolutely solid, but when you put him in the tier of LIJ, he's probably looked at as one of the, I'd hate to say lesser members, but he's not got the same popularity behind him as likes Naito and Sanada and Hiromu. Yeah, I think he's more fondly looked at when he's in, like, the tag division alongside likes of Sanada or in his current, like, trio holding the six-man titles. 
I think when uh, Shingo won the title, I, th- I thought it was only a matter of time before Shingo and Ishii came to blows for the Never title, and they didn't really make much time because later on in February, uh, the first night of New Japan Road in Corgan Hall, Shingo and Ishii came to blows for the title. And another like very hard hitting match again, that same like strong style that you came to expect in the Never title matches. This came after Ishii and his fellow Chaos members lost in a six man tag title match. We'll talk about that in a second because that was a incredible match. But focusing on kind of the singles match, main event of Cork and Shingle v Ishii, it was a very hard hitting one, like these guys were hitting each other with their hardest shots and they were just basically shaking it off as if like nothing could hurt them. Yeah, I mean the way they they went about that match. Um, I mean Goto and Shingo was hard hitting, but Ishii and Shingo was just taking it up to the next level. Especially when Ishii starts throwing out those uncomfortable looking throat chops, and it just makes you feel everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had like the sequence where like the chops and also the forearms in the corner. You had them both doing kind of back suplexes, but the other would just pop back up and hit one of their own. And how Ishii kind of kicked out of like like so like the pump and power at like one. Uh, then Shingo managed to get the one with Last of the Dragon. He's kind of pumpando style like slam. And I really like the idea of like that move kind of being like the last resort. Like if nothing else, and Shingo's Arsenal finishes, Last of the Dragon will be the thing that will pull out the win for him. Yeah, I mean, the last of the dragon is kind of like his main big, big finisher. He's got quite a lot of wins with the Pumping Bomber and made in Japan, but if he breaks out last of the dragon, you know he's mean in business. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's kind of the last like, move in his arsenal, because I think most like the Pumping Bomber, like when he was in the juniors, that picked up a lot of wins, but now he's in the heavyweight division. I think he's had to pull a few new things out. And... Jingo got on the mic afterwards. He's continued this whole like journey of his to make the Never title something that's important. And well, he's already made event two shows with the title, so he's firmly on his way. And he's announced that he will be part of the New Japan Cup as a defending like champion, like with the Never title. Because I think before the Never title was an option to go for in the New Japan Cup, even though no one's actually went for it. So he decided just to go in as Never champion and go after the heavyweight title. So I think it's very interesting. I look forward to seeing Shingo because I think I don't think he's going to win it because I don't think they want to do another LIG v LIG member match because they've already got one planned very soon. But I think he would go far. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to like the semis. Yeah, I can see Shingo is one of my top picks for the New Japan Cup because I love the idea of Naito finally getting that inside LIG competition that he really wants. But it's a stat build this year. It's ridiculous how many people they've got in, in the first round matches. I mean, Shingo's got Osprey. The, the, the second time they'll have faced one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, that's Alain saying the fact that him v Osprey is a first round match when that was the finals of the best of Super Juniors last year. And like the bracket only came out just recently for the Japan Cup. It's 32 competitors this year as it was last year. And it's single elimination. We'll talk about the bracket a bit more later on, but again, it's like something to look forward to when we talk about our our show next month. Yeah, definitely, we've got a lot to talk about that next month for the new for the new <laughs> Japan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I like though again, talk about making the new, never title important. I like that that title and also belts like the six man and the the junior titles are getting prominent spots when they go to shows like in Corgan Hall. 
because these are smaller shows, so these titles can kind of step into that main event, like Spotlight or like the co-main event. Because usually, like if it's not the heavyweight belt, then you'll get like the IC or sometimes even the junior belt. But these are belts that you wouldn't often see in the main event of like your major shows. So it's nice that when you have a show like in Corrigan Hall, you can have the uh, kind of the lower tier belts taking the spotlight. Yeah, definitely. And I think it looks beautiful that Shingo comes out with both the belts. So he's actually a holder of both the Never belts, which I think gives him that little bit of extra prestige that he's that he's, he's proven to become a big deal for New Japan now. Yeah, he's become a very big part of the company in such a short space of time. And it's very interesting that there are eight different like titles in New Japan. And currently LIG holds five of them. Because you've got Shingo with the Never belt. You have him, Evo and Bushi with the six-man belts. Uh, Hiromu has got the never uh, the IW junior title and Naito with the heavyweight and Intercontinental title. Sadly, Sonata is the only one there without gold for now. I'm sure that will change in the future. <laughs> yeah, hopefully so. And we thought it was going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom, but uh, sadly it didn't. Talking about the six-man titles, we talked about how... Like, only a couple of months ago, me and you were talking about how maybe they should just get rid of the six-man belts so they weren't really being utilised properly. And within the space of a month, I think, my opinion about these belts has completely changed because within the space of a month, LIG have had two successful title defences, both in Kurgan Hall, uh, one on the road to Nubigay and Osaka against Robbie Eagles, Ishii and Goto, and the second being against uh, Toriyano, Taguchi and Colt Cabana. Now, Already, they've defended the titles on a more regular basis than the former champions that they beat them for. Yeah, I mean that's it's really like I think they've had a bit of a reevaluation of how to use the belts, and really the fact that Naito holds both the IC and the heavyweight gives them an extra free spot now in the card mm-hmm. to have these matches. And I mean that first team, Eagles, Ishii, and Goto, it's kind of similar mix up to the LIJ where it was two heavyweights and a junior. And mm. again, they did spotlight. I mean, Bushy won it for them with the MX. And he's mm-hmm. something. I think people sometimes forget that Bushy is there because he's kind of just been to the background for a while, but he is a fantastic wrestler in his own right. And that match mm-hmm. did also set up Shingo and Ishii when they just made it clear we want to kill each other. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like what you're saying, but you will think in the kind of the totem pole and the eyes of fans, I think Bushy is near the bottom sometimes because he's he rarely ever has his like singles like like time to shine unless it's like he has a decent run in like the Super Juniors. And in the lead up to this they're kinda of implying that he was the weak link because on both Sapporo shows he would lose in like tag matches, uh, being tapped out in a submission to Robbie Eagles. So it kinda of implied that Bushy was the weak link going into that match and yeah, the point where both Shingo and Evil were being held on the outside uh, while Eagles had Bushi in that submission. So you believed that Bushi could have believably tap out, not only because Eagles had tapped him out that twice before, but also these are the six-man titles and they can change on a very frequent basis. But also it really added to the drama when Bushi finally fought out of it. But I like how different this match was from the, uh, the other title defence that they had because this was a more like even style team. I remember you even mentioned me before I'd even seen the show. I wasn't. I rarely get a chance to watch the road two shows because very little actually happens. Or if it does happen, you'll see it on social media before you watch it. 
but you messaged me civilly saying watch this six man so this is the main thing I watched between Sapporo and Osaka and I'm really glad I did because it was a great match and he, he said Bushi managed to get the win for his team and they managed to set up Ishii versus Shingo because they had the competition afterwards and they set up their next tail defence because Yano came out and stole the six man belts that was absolutely hilarious. The sublime master thief strikes again, just <laughs> feeling the belts and just going, right, you want them back? You're going to have to beat us for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, him and Taguchi together again, remember them and Maccabee held the titles for a long time last year. So this time they kind of swapped out Maccabee for Colt Cabana, who has been teaming quite a lot with. Yeah, I know they teamed together and the uh, World Tag League had a better run than we thought they would have liked at the start. Uh, they didn't have nobody had the belts and the referees were like, Yeah, I know where's the belts, you're the one that took them. Like and Yano's like, I don't know where the belts are. And then mm-hmm. uh, all three members of his team all went there and then they found the belts mysteriously under the ring and then went to the like, Right, we're the champs now. Bye. Oh, that was that was absolutely hilarious. It's just it's pure comedy <laughs> gold when you've got Yano and Taguchi and then Cabana has really meshed in really well with that. Like he's got quite a few wins over surprising people with the Superman bin and it's it's actually a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, it is. and like I said, I like to let into the contest more because not only do it differentiate from our matches on that card or in other like tail defenses for the six man belts, they also suited the guys involved because like the Yano and Togolan I love to have a good time, so it suited them. Also they kinda got like they kinda got beaten the hell out of because obviously LIG were not happy the fact that they stole their belts. And again, it was Bushy getting the win for his team, uh, blinding, I think maybe Taguchi with the miss and then hit the rock because he went and used the belt. Taguchi got it off him. He used the belt to protect himself from the miss, but Bushy halted, waited for Taguchi to look back and pull the belt in again. So his eyes were open and he used the miss again behind the referee's back. So again, uh, not only are they reevaluating how the six man belts are being presented, but I think they're reevaluating how Bushy uh, fits into the whole like dynamic of LIG. Yeah, I mean, it gave, it gave him a beautiful win with the, the Bushy role in the back of it. And uh, thinking of Cabana, I'm not sure if you've seen it online, but um, the Tiger Hattori retirement ceremony where <laughs> I seen Cabana that, yeah. was chaos and he wasn't meant to be there. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I come in where they have like the like non like faction members of New Japan, like, like your Tanahashi or just Robinson, the guys who team together but not a part of any like faction I think he's meant to come out with them but because he teams with Yano he just came out with the rest of Chaos and there was a, a short video I had him like looking behind us and then he realises nobody else is walking out behind him so he realises he came out at the wrong point It was an absolute thing of beauty because even when he himself tweeted it and you can just see the moment where he turns around and realises I'm not meant to be here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was at this moment Coke Cabana realised he'd fucked up <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> uh, I did like that. I think it was more so Yano and Cabana in this match that took a focus more than Taguchi for their team. I think that was because the story at the New Japan Road shows was on the other show, which we'll talk about, where Taguchi had another title opportunity. Uh, so it seems like a lot of people, as we'll talk about in New Japan, seem to be going after multiple belts because you got. Naito with two belts, Shingo's got two belts, Taguchi tried to go for two belts, and uh, it looks like Zach Sabre Jr.'s got his eye on a few different belts as well. Yeah, I mean, that's everyone's getting hungrier. Everyone's mm-hmm. 
really stepping up their game. And I mean, it's it's just set up some absolutely nuts nuts matches, um, both in New Japan and as we'll get to later on, one match in particular being outside New Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like everybody's seen Naito win two titles and think, oh, if he can do it, I can do it as well. It looked kind of closer to the UK where we had the UK's own Gabriel Kidd finally stepping into a New Japan ring for the first time. He had a singles match in Sapporo against El Fantasmo and it kind of followed the similar kind of format that you'd expect from a, a young lion versus an established like star match where he got a few bits off and where it seemed like Fantasmo kind of was underestimating him because like he thinks he's a young lion, he's beneath me. But uh, so there were a few hot spots for for Gabriel Kidd. But then you could see Elfanas was getting quite angry and then eventually getting the win. And then they had a rematch on one of the Road 2 shows, uh, one of the Road to Osaka shows, to which kind of followed the same format again, Gabriel Kidd losing. Gabriel Kidd's had a handful of matches like since then. He's either been fighting other young lions or he's been teaming with veterans like Tiger Mask. He's got actually a couple of wins teaming with Tiger Mask, but... Again, it's mostly losses so far, but I think with the young lines, it's not always about wins and losses. It's just basically about getting them out there to see like how much they've learned. Yeah, and I love they made a big deal of that in commentary, pointing out the fact that whereas a lot of young lines will come in and they're they're fresh to wrestling, they're learning from scratch. Gabriel Kidd had like eight years' experience in the the independent scene, and he's pretty much been forced to unlearn everything that he's learned before and learn at the New Japan way, and he's under Shibata, and he is not going to be an easy trainer to work under. He is going to put him to task. Yeah, definitely. And there's a whole story about how Shibata came to Bear Pro and personally selected Gary Kerry Company, the dojo, so they clearly have like high hopes for him, and I've seen him like, at WCPW or Slash Defiant shows. I remember seeing him challenge Liam Thompson at ICW for the G title, so he's already like a rare accomplished wrestler. He's always very talented. Obviously, now he's got the teaching under New Japan and Shibata. I think he can only get better from here. Yeah, the the way they teach them, I'm I'm a huge proponent for the the Young Lions school of wrestling. <laughs> it's a very it's a very strict style. Mm-hmm. It limit it limits them at the beginning with the purpose that they have to become good, absolutely outstanding at the foundations, which make you a solid wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, not about El Fantasma he's kinda, him and Taiji Shimura kind of took a back seat this month because obviously uh, Elder Sprado and Kawamaru were the ones getting the junior tag title shot so until they kind of get some sort of rematch they've kind of not really done much you had El Fantasma in this match against Gabriel Kid. they were fighting another young lion and Tiger Mask the day before and they did that spot where they both stand on the uh, on the family jewels of the young lion in the corner <laughs> Which uh, Gino Gambino referred to as a uh, population control. Oh, it's a it's a really uncomfortable looking spot, and they always like to milk it for the full five count they can get before they're told to break it. Yeah, definitely. So always usually uncomfortable to watch. Talk about the uh, the second day in support of the semi main event was for the Rare Pro British Heavyweight Title, which had Zack Sabre Junior taking on Will Osprey. Now this was a very entertaining match, and this was one. Like there were certain matches you look at across like Osaka and Sapporo where you thought I kind of could tell where this match is going to go because this person's doing this and that. But then this was one of the matches I actually thought, you know, I could actually see Osprey pulling out the win here because he's you know he's challenged for the belt before. They kept going on about how 
he's been a part of Red Pro for so long but never actually won the belt. So it felt like the story was there for him to win it there. But I think as we soon learn, it was all part of a kind of a longer thing because he won't win it in Sapporo, but he would w- eliminate Zack Sabre Jr. from a multi-man match on uh, one of the Road to Osaka shows, earning him a title shot uh, on Valentine's Day at Red Pro's High Stakes show. So uh, that's where Will Osprey would defeat uh, Zack Sabre Jr., now, I haven't actually had a chance to like find the ways to watch the Rare Pro match. I can only go off the Sapporo match, which I thought was really good. Uh, and if I had to ask, which the matches you prefer, did you prefer the Sapporo match or the Rare Pro match? I'd say the Rare Pro match at high stakes. The, the Sapporo match was great, and the story that Osprey never tapped, that was a referee stoppage. He didn't choose to come out that match, and it was a that horrific-looking ground octopus hold. Mm-hmm. It did look legitimately uncomfortable. Um, the good news is, um, for anyone that's not watched Osprey and Zack Saber Junior at Rev Pro at high stakes, if you're not subscribed to Rev Pro but you're subscribed to New Japan World, it is on there. That one match on its own. Very good. So there you go. There's your way to watch it if you haven't uh, seen it already. Well, I should mention I mentioned about El Fantasmo. We kind of take a backseat in terms of New Japan. He was also on that show, the high stakes show, and he lost his. British Cruiserweight Championship, I believe. Yeah, there was a big changing of the guard. Pretty much all three mm. of them, all three of the main singles retro belts changed hands, including Giselle Shaw getting the women's one off Zoe Lucas. So it felt like a big changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, Osprey's made it clear that he still wants to commit to Rev Pro in the future, and he's already announced for their next kind of big major show about May time. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely I mean Osprey and Saber. It's it was a slow burn to start with at Rev Pro, but I feel that him getting the win on home soil in York Hall just added to the story, and the crowd reaction was unreal. Yeah, I definitely think so as well because we talked about how the belt hasn't spent that much time in the UK, so having it change hands from Saxon to New Zealand coming to define that belt the last couple of years because it always seems to wind up back around his waist. But having him lose it in the UK to another British wrestler, I think. Is kind of perfect for that belt, and Osprey has officially announced he is officially a heavyweight, which we kind of assumed would happen once they dropped the junior belt to to Hiromu. But we kind of figured maybe he'd go after the narrow belt to kind of ease his transition. And I think he's already since he's already done it, he's thought he's going after the rare pro heavyweight belt, but he's going to be between the UK and Japan a lot more now. Yeah, he staked his claim with that, and I mean. When you look at Osprey's history for going for that belt, he's the people that have been he's struggled against Sabre and even AJ Styles. Mm-hmm. It, it's got a lot of prestige behind it when you look at that belt's history. It's got some insanely good title holders. Yeah, 100%. And I wouldn't mind seeing the title defended on New Japan again because every time the Pro belt appears on a New Japan show, you're always guaranteed a great match. Like the match in Sapporo, it seemed like Zach Sabre Jr. had kind of taken that same like a- approach to Osprey that a lot of people had when they first saw him and that he was a guy who just did like flips and that technically he couldn't go with Sabre. So Sabre kept trying to ground him but Osprey always found a way out of it and when he managed to like, speed the pace up it was always Osprey that was in control and Osprey did kind of like, they had some great characters like carrying the uh, the Oscar into the kind of the choke. And I think some of the questions in the Sapporo matches that Osprey had his big moves like the Oscar but he never managed to hit the Stormbreaker, which I think is a big thing 
And I think he managed it at the Stormbreaker in the Rare Pro match, which, again, is a great way of telling a story because the idea of like somebody's finisher being protected and that if they're not going to use the finisher to win, they don't use the match at all. Don't use the finisher at all because if the person kicks out of it, then you're just going to make the finisher kind of look weaker. Whereas if you have them tease it but don't hit it, you make people think, if he managed to hit that, this match would have been a completely different result. Yeah, I mean, getting the the, the one-two combo for Osprey was getting the, the hidden blade mm-hmm. and then the Stormbreaker. And that lasts sort of 40 seconds in their second match at Rev Pro. As soon as it hit the hidden blade, you knew that was it. And you just felt the elation in the room. The volume was just incredible. And it's, I mean, yeah, Sabres underestimated Osprey because he's generally had Osprey's number for as far back as time can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think there'd be another match between the two, like a third one, given that, like, that Junior will probably want a rematch, but I doubt we'll see it on New Japan anytime soon, as we'll talk about. It seems like Zach Junior's got his eyes on a couple of different belts. Yep, Sabre's definitely got his eyes on one particular prize above all, but we'll get to that one later. <laughs> yeah, we definitely will. We had, that was also the kind of semi-co-main event of Night 2 as the Pole. The actual main event was a special singles match between Kasuchiko Okada and Taichi. Before we talk about that, I want to talk about some stuff that happened in the lead-up to this. I like that and kind of the, you know, on the Road 2 shows or on the Sapporo shows kind of when they were teasing matches for Osaka when they'd have like tag matches between guys who would be facing in like various different matches on a different show. They didn't like have guys trying to avoid each other or kind of tease stuff and then not like leave like the best stuff for the actual matches. They weren't prepared to give you a preview of what, what you expect so they let guys actually like go for each other. Like when you had really in uh, Hiromu on different sides of each other in a tag match, they didn't, they didn't like hesitate, they just went for each other or we had Sanada and Naito against Kent and Jay White. They like, didn't hold back. The guys all were happy to work each other and give you a, a glimpse of what you can expect in Osaka. But I think the best tag match teasing what you could expect was when Okada on night one of Sapporo teamed with John Moxley, still, support, still with that eye patch he got from Chris Jericho in the inner circle on AEW against Taichi and Suzuki. As we said last month, like, the oddest tag match you never thought you'd, be, you'd get a chance to see. Oh, it was it was a, it was a dream dream tag match, something that you would never, ever. I never thought I'd see something like that in my lifetime. It was just that was unreal. Mm-hmm. But we got it, and it was brilliant fun. Yeah, and I think with uh, I think with Moxley, his look overall has actually been improved by the fact that he has that eye patch. Because, like, especially in New Japan, this whole thing is this guy comes to the crowd, he doesn't care, just looking for a fight. I think having the eye patch actually improves his look and him and Suzuki both on across both nights as Sapporo, they weren't afraid, they just like didn't care about anybody else in the matches. They just cared about beating each other. Like day two of Sapporo they had an eight man tag where the Suzuki didn't even let Osprey finish his entrance to the crowd. He just wandered through the crowd, grabbed a bit of the guardrail and to try and tried to hit Moxley with it. Like this is just like teasing you, like thinking, if this is what they're doing in these tag matches, what we're going to do by the time we get to Osaka for that US title match. Oh yeah, that was like, they were, they were, both men are known for not being shy to have a fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely not. But also in that match, what we said on night one supporter, we had, I believe the, 
I think it was Tai Chi and Suzuki getting the win. And Tai Chi, they were really trying to pick up Tai Chi, trying to make him seem like a threat to Okada. They had him strangling him with like cables, hitting him using like that iron claw. He even had uh, Tai Chi's Valley kind of showing like like not showing disapproval to the actions of Tai Chi. And like so, the next night, even though Sapporo he was hometown of Tai Chi, he was still like being booed because he, he was up to Okada and also because of his actions. And I know as much as they try to big up Taichi and as much as Okada can have a great match with just about anyone, I think out of all three like main events across the major New Beginning shows, this one was my least favourite. Yeah, I mean, Okada and Taichi was still a brilliant match, but it didn't have the same stakes at hand as the other main events. Mm-hmm. It, it still made for an entertaining match, and I'm definitely quite high on Taichi. He's really quite a, quite a fun guy to watch. And he's he's finding himself still. He's still getting his style there. But when it comes up with Miho Abbey, it gives him it gives him his gimmick that little bit more over the topness, which makes it more fun to watch. Yeah, I just I think he's found himself quite underwhelmed with this match because as much as they're trying to big up Tai Chi as a threat to Okada, and he was quite violent, like like I said, choking him with the wires and that, and he was on kind of offense for a lot of the match before Okada made his big comeback. I think just for me it was a case of the result was never in doubt that Okada would win because it felt like he lost in the, uh, the main event night two of Wrestle Kingdom. He lost the IWG Heavyweight Championship. Uh, he lost it to be, the chance to be a double champion. We need to give Okada a big win to kind of get his momentum back because obviously you know he'll be a, a favourite going into the New Japan Cup. It just seemed like Taishi was set up as kind of the guy he help get Okari's momentum back so for that reason I just ne- maybe never saw him as a threat Yeah I mean even when you look at the last time Okada lost a big belt which was to Omega mm-hmm. he went through a spell where he was a bit mixed but he still didn't lose a lot of matches, he was still generally the winner mm-hmm. Yeah and this kind of felt like uh, just to have Okada at a big match on like, the New Beginning Tour before like the build to New Japan Cup so it just felt like a match they needed to have rather than anything was going to lead to something because like when Okada had that spell that you mentioned one of the people he lost to was Jay White which then led to kind of a thing between the two where Jay White won a Wrestle Kingdom and then Okada became the Rainmaker again and won the, eventually got the title from uh, Jay White so that at least led to something whereas the Tai Chi thing didn't feel like it was ever actually going to lead anywhere Yeah it's definitely not. I feel the placement on the card um, I, I felt they should have made the main event Osprey and Sabre Jr. with it being a title match. I yeah. feel coming off, the back, coming off the back of their match, Taichi and Okada had a, a hard, hard card to follow. Yeah, I think partly because Okada, one of the guys involved was Okada, and given his position in the company, I think that alone is what gave us the main event spot because like Naito is now the heavyweight champion, but he's fought uh, Taichi in special singles matches on like major shows. But even then, they weren't the main event. I think because it's Okada, that's why it was the main event. And there's a few other reasons. If it had been anybody else for Taichi, I believe probably Osprey Sabre Jr. would have been the main event. Yeah, definitely. That's I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. But before we go into Osaka, the next leg of the uh, New Beginning Tour, we need to talk about the uh, New Beginning in the USA because they had a kind of a short 
tour, they had to kind of split the roster a little bit, give some, uh, some of the more international stars over on the USA leg of the tour. Uh, the final two days happening the same days as uh, the first two days of Sapporo. So Rocky Mary was on those USA shows, so whenever Rupongi Fiki came out and the lead up to Osaka, they were always accompanied by Taguchi as opposed to Rocky Romero, kind of Taguchi filling in that role for Romero. But I didn't really see a lot of the New Beginning USA tour, but I think the two main highlights for us to talk about that happened on those tours was G.O.D. winning the tag team titles back from Finjus, making them six-time tag team champions. Uh, I was when I first saw that result, I was a bit you know, almost underwhelmed by it because I thought, well, what was the point in everything we talked about Finjus winning and there being new contenders? But I think this was done because they wanted to sell what they would do later on this month with Tanahashi and Ibushi. And they thought the people who do that, have them go up against would be GOD rather than have them go up against Finjus. Yeah, it felt, it felt a bit of a, a bit of a underwhelming climax because when they done that build and they gave the idea of Finjus against Tanahashi and Ibushi, I thought yeah, it's a face-face face match on paper, but it's still one that I could get behind just for the sheer technical ability in it, but I don't know if it was a decision to put it back on G.O.D. so you had a clear-cut heels vs face dynamic but I, I, I do feel it was kind of like it, it shouldn't have happened because G.O.D. won it just to mm-hmm. Really, drop it again. Yeah, yeah, very much. I don't. I don't think they wanted to do the whole face v face thing. But God would defend the titles later on. That was against Tanahashi and Ibushi. But we'll talk about that match uh, shortly. The other big thing that happened on this tour was on the show was Marty Scurll made a surprise appearance and formally challenged Switchblade Jay White to a match at Supercard of Honor. Uh, the big uh, Ring of Honor show which will feature a lot of New Japan talent WrestleMania weekend that is kind of a I think a first time ever match that we'll get to see and Jay White formally accepted on uh, on one of the New Beginning shows is that a match you're particularly excited to see? It is it is a match that I'll, I'll be honest I've not seen a lot of Skrull lately because I've, I kind of went off Ring of Honor but mm-hmm. this is a match which will get my interest it is because Skrull has really reinvented himself a bit with the whole villain enterprises, him, PCO, who we know a lot of people in the podcast are a big fan of, Brody mm-hmm. King, Flip Gordon. And it'll be interesting because I'm, I'm wondering how the dynamic will work in regards to will Jay White come alone? Will he come with company as well? And will it set something further up? You never know. I mean, that is a match I'm very excited to see. Uh, if you're, if our listeners, or been listening to our other content, you're on Super HP Retreat Extra, you might have heard uh, me and Stephen have been talking quite a bit about Marty Scuddle on the uh, power trip. We really get NW Power because he's been kind of involved in this almost cross-promotional thing they've been doing with Ring of Honor and the NWA. I think what I like about Marty Scuddle's new position now, the thing about him being now head booker of Ring of Honor, I think I like how, as much as some people would like to see him go to AEW, I think what he's enjoying now is the freedom to go wherever he wants, where... He's been on Ring of Honor, he's appeared on NWA Power and on the pay-per-views, and now he's shown up in New Japan and making challenges to New Japan stars. So I think at the moment, Marty Scott is enjoying the freedom and 
I think that's going to lead to some great matches because, like the one with Switchblade that we've got for Mania Weekend. Yeah, I mean that's it's definitely going to be a it's a big big match, and yeah, Skrull's new creative freedom does keep things going, and it gets everyone going reevaluating the working relationship between New Japan and Ring of Honor, which for what you hear a lot of speculation, is it on, is it off? Mm-hmm. I think this solidifies that it's on. Yeah, I think with someone like Skrull kind of the head of Ring of Honor, it shows good signs between with that relationship. I think Skrull wanted to kind of step in and try and make sure things stay good between the two companies. But we'll move on to Osaka, the final show of the New Beginning Tour, and I think the most stacked out of all the shows and it starts with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles with Rapongi Tiki defending against Kanemaru and Desperado. Obviously, these two teams no strangers to one another. But the big story in the tour leading up to this was Sho having kind of a knee injury. And, and every time that they faced off in like eight man or six man t- matches on the lead up to this, they would always target that knee like. There was a six-man they had on one of the last New Beginning, on one of the last, sorry, voted New Beginning Osaka shows, where Suzuki Young got disqualified purely because they refused to stop taking out the knee, and basically they used that DQ just to do more damage leading into their title match. So there was a story leading all the way into this, but the thing with Rapongi CK that they had in their favour was the fact that they had Rocky Romero back in their corner, much to Gino Gambino's uh, uh, dismay. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely like the two teams have such chemistry. Show is the powerhouse of Rapongi three K, so it made sense for them to keep targeting him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it definitely. It was it was a good match. I was it's not their best encounter, but I did uh, love the set afterwards. Yeah, I think they've they faced off like quite a few times now, like in Rapongi three K's last three, and they, they lost them to. Desperado and Calamaro, they faced off in the Super Junior Tag League and then again here, so when you face it off as many times as these teams can, like sometimes it doesn't feel the same. I also like, like kind of the little things that they told in the lead up to this regarding that injury, like uh, one of the Corgan Hall shows, show his knee was so bad that he couldn't get up on the uh, the turnbuckle to do the kind of this Propongi 3K pose along with Yo. So kind of showing also the damage that had already been done to that knee. And despite also that injury, Rapongi Suki really took it to Suzuki uh, at the start of this match. But every time it felt like Rapongi Suki were going to pull it out, Suzuki uh, would always quickly swing the balance back in their favour with just one swift kick to the knee or just immediately target that leg. Just And immediately the tide would be back in their favour. Like They tried to even win by count area at one point because they took show out into a bit near the crowd and took his knee out with what part of the barrier and then just left him there knowing he'd had to kind of crawl his way back to the ring. Yeah, I mean, that, that was that was some clever. I mean, it's, it's well-known Suzuki-gun and in particular Kanemaru and Desperado are particularly the, the evil shitbags of the junior heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they make no, no shame in using every hook, crook, sneak attack, exploit every weakness that they can to get a win. Yeah. 100%. Rongi KVK using a kind of a newer finisher that they've been using recently to uh, put away Suzuki where I believe it's called the Strong X, kind of the cross-armed kind of pile driver that Sho used 
that didn't get the win. So then they kind of did a version where he did a package version of it, while Joe did kind of a stomp, kind of like the uh, the move that if you've ever seen the Lucha Brothers use, their kind of package power driver stomp maneuver, used a kind of a similar version of that, and that managed to put the match away. Something I don't get is why they don't go for the package version straight away rather than having like, the opponent kick out of uh, like the single version of the pile driver because when Show does it by himself, it looks kind of like a devastating finisher. But they just have the guy kick out so they can lead to the tag version. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like it's a little bit overkill in the sense of product in, in the sense of producing it by showing the same, essentially the same move twice, just with one extra addition on it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you think why you wouldn't go for the extra edition version first and just give the uh, the single version to somebody who will use it as an actual match ending move. Yeah, so it does take away from it a little bit, but I think when they do hit it, it does look pretty cool. I I still think the Lucha Bros version is a bit better because it looks a lot, it's just a little bit smoother and more powerful looking. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. But I was thinking myself, other than uh, uh, ELP and I wasn't really sure who Rapongi Tege could face from here. And then we kind of got that question answered when, uh, as they were celebrating, Taguchi came down, who had teamed with Rocky Romero and the Super J Tag League as the mega coaches. And he said to Rocky, like, you're a great wrestler. Why don't me and you team up? Why don't we challenge for the tag titles? And you see in the look on Show and Yo's face, they kind of feel, they felt kind of, Kind of let down a wee bit by the fact that Rocky had chosen to challenge them for the titles, given that he was kind of their kind of coach, as it were. Yeah, I thought that was clever. I mean, you could see the look of like Rocky looked shocked, and Taguchi just goofing about with that basketball. Mm-hmm. Trying to say, well, I'm a great wrestler. As far as I know, you still wrestle. Mm-hmm. I've held the the junior tag belts about five or six times. Rocky's held them about eight or nine. It's like combined, they've got over, they're in double digits for combined reigns. Yeah. Like they had like shirts made with seven and nine on the back because it would have been Taguchi's seventh reign and Rocky's ninth had they beat Rapongi 3K because this led to a match. The uh, co-main event of the first night of New Japan Road, this was Taguchi's other match for the title that we mentioned before we go on the next night to unsuccessfully challenged for the six-man belts and because Taguchi has held the belts a number of times with Finn Balor when he was Fergal Devitt and Apollo 55 was their tag team and his last reign was was with Ricochet right before Ricochet went into WWE and ironically they actually lost the belts to the debut in Rapungi 3K whereas uh, Rocky held the belts with David Richards, Alex Godloff and his last partner was Trent Beretta who's now people will know as part of Best Friends along to see Chucky T so they're very decorated in the junior division like also they mentioned how Taguchi Fair was the number 69 because he was the 69th junior heavyweight champion it still makes me laugh every time <laughs> the funky and we were all campaigning when it was the heavyweight championship we wanted him to be the 69th heavyweight championship as well <laughs> yeah I'm, pretty, I'm sure he's very happy with uh, being the 69th champ. I like the uh, the tag match, again, between the Mega Coaches and Bungie 3 One thing that kind of I didn't like was kind of the over-alliance from Taguchi on the hip attack. I think he pulled it out once too often. Although I did like uh, the use of it where they had him on the like apron 
with him on the turnbuckle facing away from everybody else and Rocky Romero's meant to run one of the members of Rapongi 3K into his arse and it doesn't then he's meant to spring off it into a DDT but the fact um, that they forget it it was beautiful and there was even some callbacks to the Apollo 55 days some of the double team moves they used mm-hmm. I think I liked how Rocky kind of he was able to counter a lot of Rapongi 3K's like offense because obviously He's worked so closely with them. He's been there for their big matches. He knows care of their stuff, but they also managed to counter his stuff. And it, like he went for a knee, they kind of caught him, and then that led them perfectly into a CK kind of for the win. So they kind of showed that they got where we get one up on their coach. And I think it was the right call from at this stage to have Rapongi CK keep the titles for now, as an incident would be kind of to tease tension between them by having Rocky Romero take the belts from them. I think for now you keep them all like together, but like it was an like, interesting match to have them kind of go up against their mentor. Yeah, I mean the match dynamic worked fantastic, and the fact they were against kind of both their mentors mm-hmm. since Taguchi became involved, and it was a passing of the torch because you got two of the most decorated junior heavyweight tag champs and juniors in the whole division mm-hmm. kind of passing the torch on to say, "You've beat us. You can pretty much do anything." Yeah. I think it was very good because they're talking about how they overcame their thing of not being able to win at Wrestle Kingdom. They did that. They managed to get two successful title defences after previously a couple of days they've lost in their first title defence. So they've overcame that. So it kind of shows that now Rapunga Tuki are finally on the right track. They can kind of overcome almost anything. Me and you were talking the other day, Grant, about the best of Super Juniors and how we thought Tuki would probably be probably surprise a lot of people maybe get to one of the block finals because he got that win over over Jushin Thunder Liger in one of his final matches. He's had two big like title opportunities for the six-man and for the junior tag titles. So I don't think it would be able to say the real possibility that we've seen so far. I'd say pretty good to kind of keep going this impressive run of momentum. It's going to surprise a lot of people in 2020 and have them kind of beat, get some big wins in the Super Juniors. I'd, I'd find it believable because I always like to think there's two Taguchis. There's comedy match Taguchi, which we all know and love. Takes mm-hmm. more hits to the ass than anything else. But then <laughs> there's also big match Taguchi. And when big match Taguchi comes out, I mean, we've seen him get... like When Ishimori was still junior heavyweight champion, had a shot against him. Mm-hmm. And he can, he can really... He can still go... They like to milk the fact that he's getting a bit older and he's not quite the same shape as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. they always poke fun at his belly and stuff making him run out of stamina as they make him run the ropes but he, he can really when he, when he's when he's focused he's clever he's very very smart in the ring yeah I think when he does kind of the comedy stuff with the hip attacks and all that we shouldn't forget like you said the amount of times he's held the junior title was the fact that he was a former junior heavyweight champion and he's got all that like history in the division and I think as we were talking about the other week that if he did go quite far in the junior versus two juniors but then fell short of somebody who could possibly go on and win it, I think it would be a big thing for them to beat someone like Taguchi because, like again, he's got all that history and this is a potential future star in the junior division being put over someone like him. Oh, yeah, he's he's definitely got the, the potential. And even with one of his, like, the hip attacks, one of his best moves, which I still love when Chris Charlton gets excited and shouts to bum a. <laughs> the big, the big, the big payoff, the big homage to 
Shinsuke Nakamura. And okay. but when he does it, it's, it's actually got him a few big wins in the past, which kind of gives you a mixture of well, he can do it, but this is really funny when he's done how, how he's done it. Yeah, I can't remember which match it was, but on one of the matches, like towards the end of the month, maybe on one of the New Japan Road matches, when he kind of went on a run of hitting the uh, B triggers, as it were, kind of the hip attack while the person's leaning against the ropes. Uh, I think it was Kevin Kelly that said, Don't be bummed, Taguchi's on a roll. Uh, that, that pun slayed <laughs> me. I was just like, Wow, I did not expect this one to come out of Kevin Kelly, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, one of the uh, few like non-title matches, few one of the few big non-title matches on Osaka was Jay White against Sanada, and Jay White kind of took exception to this whole loss, like surprise roll-up loss in the tag match at New Year's Dash to Sanada because he maintained that I'm on a different level than Sanada. Sanada shouldn't be able to beat me, so obviously wanted to prove that he could beat Sanada, and. It started off a bit slow. You had, again, talking about people targeting legs, you had, uh, you had Jay White to work over Sonata. You had Gale getting involved, as he often does, which annoys a lot of the New Japan fans. And I was actually surprised that Jay White won, even though I think, in hindsight, it probably makes a lot more sense, given that he kind of came off, well, he beat Ibushi in the second era of Wrestle Kingdom. He came off that IC title loss to... Uh, to Naito so it's probably best that he won it but and I think with all the losses that Sanada's had uh, they talked about this losing streak of his like in singles matches like coming off one like six months and not a singles match win uh, I think it's a bigger story for him to maybe overcome in one of the big tournaments coming up Yeah I mean it, it was like Sanada's been losing the momentum which is quite insane when you compare it to the fact that Going back a year, he was in the finals of the New Japan Cup with Okada. He beat Okada in the G1. He even got a title match against Okada, which he came so close to. So mm-hmm. close. And it just... He's been a lot of like a, a nearly man. I think at some point he is going to get his breakthrough. He is going to get singles gold. But mm-hmm. Jay White got the win through usual Jay White means, which... I'll be honest, I'm starting to see people's point of view that Jay White is getting too many wins with an overly Western style of interference and interference and interference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing about that is is it's because it's so against what New Japan like usually does, and that's kind of Bullet Club's kind of MO, is that they don't do things the traditional way. So I think I can get why they do it, but there are times where it get the they overdo it with the interference and it can get a bit much at times. But, you know, when it's done right, it's kind of done right. Where I did like kind of when Gale gets his kind of comeuppance when uh, Jay White's trying to distract the ref while Aston Scales kind of hit Sonada or something. Then Sonada kind of hangs him up on the ropes and then Jay White slowly realises that the plan's backfired as he hears kind of Gale kind of begging off Sonada. And I love the fact that Sanada kept on kicking the ropes when Gado was on them, giving them a nice little yeah. little twangers. <laughs> yeah, and he's been he's been doing that quite a lot. You know, it's always he tries to get in the ring, someone kicks the ropes, or he needs to move like that. Like he's taking some amount of damage down there. His his Gado. Yeah, you'd think Gado would have learned by now. And I know. I was happy to see Sanada get the paradise lock, and that always yeah. makes me happy. 
Yeah, definitely uh, a very devastating move that can only be unlocked by kicking, kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse. But <laughs> uh, I do like how fast Sonata can be at times. But they talked about him like he walked in kind of the uh, the uh, dragon sleeper and then he let go to then go for the insult. And they talked about how that put Okada away one time. But I think he took too long and that was kind of Jay White's opening. You know, they had the usual kind of exchange of counters. You know, Sonata's one of the best at kind of the, like, fast-moving, quick, like, counters where, in the kind of closing stages of matches. But I did like the way that they set up for the Blade Runner. And, again, it surprised me that Jay White won, but in hindsight, it was probably the right decision. Yeah, it made a lot of sense based on the sort of the follow-up from, like, New Bit, like, from, from the Little Kingdom and that. And it's... And then they... Sonada will just eventually pick himself up. He will get back in there, and I, I think I think he'll hold singles goal by the end of the year. I'm still yeah. not faithing. Yeah, I don't see him being like the, the heavyweight champion anytime soon. But there's nothing I can't say that maybe if he goes up against Naito at some point, he couldn't get the IC title from him at some point, or maybe he gets uh, even the US title. One of those two titles, I think, would be perfect for him. Oh, definitely, it would be the it'd be the right sort of stepping stone. To gauge how his popularity goes with a belt reign, because Sanada is well loved by the fans. Hundred percent, I agree with that. But the last three matches on the Osaka card, I think it's fair to say it was belter after belter after belter, and it started with a junior heavyweight title match with Ryuji versus Hiromu, and it didn't start the way you'd expect. You'd expect kind of a high flying kind of exchange, and it kind of did to an extent. But then uh, after then it was just a massive chop fest, and then like when they called like the five minute mark, the time you were called for like you said five minutes had passed. You like it felt like it'd gone by in a blur because the first five minutes had been mostly just chopping each other until each other's like chest was discolored. Well, yeah, those those chops were absolutely vicious, and even Kevin Kelly state, stated a stat on one of the New Japan Road shows. And the un- unofficial stat was there was about 196 chops exchanged in that match alone. Wow. That is yeah, a lot. And like you can see the, how dark their chest was, so you can kind of believe it was that many. And I remember thinking, watching, like you'd expect like Moxley and Suzuki being something like this, like just chopping the hell out of each other. So you got to think if the juniors are doing this, what the hell are we going to get later on when those two come out? It was absolutely nuts. And it's a match that got a lot of people talking. And- I've got a mate, Andrew, and he watched it apparently at his work, and he was literally shouting, no, 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 whenever really kept them going for that release, Dragon Suplex, the one that broke Hiromu's neck the last time. Oh, yeah, like, that, I'd be kind of scared as well, the amount of times that they tease that, and, like, the fact that commentators and do what they will set up for, and, like, even, you know, who can be quite biased at times, like, but there are times where he's really good in his role, and, even he was like, "Oh God, no! Like, don't we can't I can't watch this." Like the idea of like Uruma injuring his neck again because Uruma said like, "If you really, if you think that neck injury is going to cause me to change my style and wrestle safer, like you've got another thing coming." Because he did not hold back. Like you had him do Dragon Lee do that spot that he did to Osprey where he positioned them on like the barrier in the commentary t- desk and did the dive on the outside on the hard like concrete floor. And that was bad enough seeing Osprey do. He's had like nagging injuries, but then seeing Hiromu, given what he's coming back from, taking that bump, like it was even scarier. 
Oh yeah, I mean that 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 suicide dive. That is the world definition of a suicide dive. It was fast. It was unreal. The impact. It's. I've rewatched that little spot over and over just going. How does he clear that much distance? Clean between mm-hmm. the rope and nail it spot on. It couldn't be any more accurate. Yeah, it was unbelievable, and uh, I really liked the fact that I really liked their decision to have really be the first challenger for Hiromu because also they had the history of there was a match between those two that caused Hiromu to get injured. So kind of it was some unfinished business there. What I'd, what kind of let me down a little bit with this match is as great as it was, like as a whole, the finish of Hiromu hitting the kind of the time bomb. It really kicks out. Roma then just picks up and hits another one, and then that's it. I thought that was going to be then the setup for like Time Bomb Two. He built it at Wrestle Kingdom, but then that wasn't it. So maybe they'll just keep on with the Time Bomb as his finisher. But like much like we said, we shouldn't go with Last of the Dragon. Like Time Bomb Two is only in like exceptional circumstances when nothing else will put somebody away. Time Bomb Two is one really nasty looking move, and I wonder if. That's another reason it's not going to be used very often is because it's got a lot of risk being a, a leg hook emerald fusion. It's mm-hmm. pretty dangerous. Yeah. Like if it's going to be quite risky, then you you don't want to pull out too often. And also, maybe it'll keep kind of the allure of the move if they don't use it too often. Like I think it was all about the burning hammer kind of being a very dangerous move, although I don't think that move was actually only ever used that many times like from the initial like creator of the move. Yeah, it's... It's one that I can't wait to see him burst out again, but I'm wondering who is going to be on the receiving end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe if he's going up against a big opponent in the Super Juniors or if he holds the title till after the tournament and is trying to put away the tournament winner and can't get anything else like to put him away, he'll go for that move. Like, those are the kind of circumstances that I would expect him to pull that, match, that, uh, that move out. Yeah, when it, when it happens, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see it until after the rest of the Super Juniors. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Now, a match I think I, myself and a lot of other people were looking forward to most on this card, which was Moxley versus Suzuki for the US Heavyweight title. And like this was everything I wanted it to be. It was mental. They were brawling all around the crowd. You had Suzuki trying to break Moxley's arm at one point. You had, Mo- you had Suzuki kind of being put through tables and then just laughing it off. You had them, Moxley just yelling at him, swearing like, come on, motherfucker, and they hit each other as hard as they can. Again, Suzuki's laughing like a crazy man and like kicking each other's moves. I think Moxley had been pinned by Suzuki in a tag match and lead up to this with a gotch bile driver, which almost spelled that maybe he wasn't going to, the tail wasn't going to change hands. One of my favourite moments, it was only a small moment, but what I loved was because obviously, he would, like I said, Suzuki tried to break Moxley's arm, he put his arm in a chair and then hit it with another chair. And the chair that he used to hit it with was a chair stolen from Chris Charlton on commentary. So Gino and Kevin Kelly blamed Chris Charlton for it. Like, why didn't you stop him? It's your chair he's using. <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant. And it's just, I mean, when you. When you look at the match, it was the definition of violent and uncomfortable. It was actually unpleasant to watch at points because they did they, they really did not hold back. I legit thought at points 
these guys aren't actually just doing a wrestling match anymore. These guys are legitimately fighting. They just don't like each other. Mm-hmm. It was, it was snug, stiff, whatever we want to describe it. But the way Suzuki was just laughing like a madman, that creeped me out so much. I was like, yeah, this is why Suzuki's murder grandpa. <laughs> yeah, I think if anybody was like disappointed with the match with Moxley and Archer at Wrestle Kingdom. I think this is the match for them. This will be everything you expect it to be, and a lot more. Uh, Moxley kept going for the uh, the Death Rider, even both the regular and like the elevated version. And it took a couple to finally put Suzuki away, and Suzuki kind of leave there, kind of dazed, almost just wide eyed after he'd beaten him. And Moxley, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw those two again. I'd, I'd really hope to see them again. And Moxley looked like he'd been through a war afterwards. And then he's jumped by Zack Sabre Jr., who then seems to be going after the US title, which we I think that Kess felt that he was going to probably lose in Red, uh, Red Pro if he was already setting his sights on another title. You know, he's been the champion of the UK, now he's moving on to be the champion of the US. Oh, yeah, that, that, that like, attack by Sabre was outstanding, and it also led way to two of the best funny post-match commentaries I've ever seen. The first uh, one's David Jr. sitting there, Jonathan, Jonathan, <laughs> you wrestle a match, Jonathan. Yeah. And then Moxley turning around and calling Zack Sabre Jr. a human fucking udon noodle. I was in <laughs> absolute hysterics at that. Yeah, I, I really that. like Zack, like, especially given Moxley's full Sunday named Jonathan. I really enjoyed that. One thing that is kind of disappointing is that we'll probably have to wait a while to get this match because we were kind of recording this a few days before AEW Revolution where Moxley will be in the main event against Jericho for the title. You know, it's not quite sure if he's going to win the title but depending on that, that will probably affect when Sabre Jr. can like get the match with Moxley and I think given the likes that Moxley can't always come over all the time I think Sabre Jr. is more likely to win that match. I think we'll either I don't think we're going to get it secure, Genesis. I think it's too soon. I think we may have to wait all the way till like May, like wrestling Dontaku, maybe even as far as Dominion in June. I mean, I'd, I'd ideally hope that we don't have to wait that long, but it's it's understandable. With the New Japan Cup, Saber is in that, but Moxley isn't, and that is going to be a busy, busy tournament. Secure Genesis is on a Tuesday, and we know Moxley has to be AW Dynamite on the Wednesday, so that's that's definitely not happening. But wrestling on Taku could be a shout, which is a tour from like 11th of April to the 1st of May. Yeah, so like mostly could show up at any of those like tour dates to confront Saxby Jr., which could then lead to a match at Dontaku. I was going to say maybe uh, Supercard or Honor, but I don't think AEW, I think AEW's whole deal with Moxley is that he can wrestle in Japan, but in the US he's exclusive to them. Because I remember he was pulled from the uh, the Dallas show for New Japan. He was moving to the B block, so he wouldn't have to perform in Dallas for New Japan. So also, they don't want to ha- happen on a on US soil. But hopefully, uh, whenever we get the match, hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Yeah, and I mean Moxley is also a little bit busy in March as well. We know that he's going to be in Ireland for OTT, and I know me and Moxley are, are going to cover that in Indie Sausage Roll. Best name there is. <laughs> <laughs> I can never hear that name without laughing it's so good 
but <laughs> part, of, part of the reason I said about Sonata being the US champion is maybe if Saxe Jr. wins the US title, we could revisit the Sonata Debra Jr. rivalry that they had over the British title at this time, having Sonata come out on top with the US title. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get the match that I felt we didn't get at Wrestle Kingdom, which is an, a match that's about an extra 10 minutes longer. Yeah. yeah, give it that extra bit of time that it really deserves. But I think, I thought about how Zebra Jr. is looking at a couple of different titles. I think because they don't know when Mox is coming back, I think that's why Zebra Jr. is attention to another title kind of in the meantime, where we had the main event in Japan Road Night 2, Gorgon Hall. We had the shock, well, it was a shock to me. Yeah, the Golden Aces of Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi defeating G.O.D. for the tag titles. And then after the match, while Tanahashi was celebrating, thanking everybody in Corgan Hall, Saxe Jr. and Taichi came out, the team known as Dangerous Techers, again, another great name, came out and basically confronted them, saying that they were what this tag division needed. Uh, so I assume that, I think, also, given that Ibushi is now one half of the tag champs, Zebra Jr. and Ibushi are squared off in the first round of the New Japan Cup. I have a feeling they're going to use the New Japan Cup to set up a tag team match between these two teams, and that's the match we're going to get Sakura Genesis. And this will kind of tie set Zebra Jr. up over until whenever Moxley is able to come back. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the New Japan Cup, it's Ibushi and Sabre and Tanahashi and Taichi in mm-hmm. the first round, and the winners of those two matches face each other mm-hmm. so it's doubling the opportunity for tag matches to happen there but the the attack itself was outstanding Sabre was on fire on the microphone just mm-hmm. absolutely ripping into the crowd and claiming that apparently he can't get sick because he's vegan yeah because also there's the whole thing, thing with the crowd wearing kind of the mask the whole coronavirus thing is a big thing at the moment at the minute and I did love the uh, the commentators occasionally what they would refer to when someone's not there, like, well, has he got that uh, Steve Carino virus? <laughs> that, was, that was outstanding. It really was. I, I really enjoyed that. But before we, as well as all the attacks, the actual match itself between Golnes and G.O.D., I think it surprised me because I think the hot shotting of the titles the last couple of months is what surprised me because it's not really a, a very New Japan thing to do. For, for these titles, unless it's like one of the never belts, then you're usually quite surprised when a title changes hands so frequently. And I think because Ken actually also being the ace, the kind of the John Cena of New Japan, as it were, and you've got Kotobishi, who's also very popular, I don't think they wanted to risk uh, Finn just maybe being booed against them. So they avoided the whole face v face thing for now and had GOD be the guy to drop the titles. Uh, do you think that's kind of a smart decision for them? and what do you think of the Golden Aces being the champs? I think it's a, to an extent it's a smart decision and the fact that putting them into a tag situation can protect both Ibushi and Tanahashi at the moment because we know Ibushi's had some health problems lately which put him out of competition for a little while. So by having someone to share with and also possibly develop a longer term story because Ibushi and Tanahashi have had issues in the past. Mm-hmm. And it could eventually to a, a, I'd actually potentially see a heel turn from Ibushi down the line, turning on Tan, going to that dark place that he goes. That would be interesting. I mean, we talked about it in our last episode, so it's definitely a possibility. If this is the start of that, I wouldn't be against it. 
because uh, I remember they faced off in the final, the G1 Climax, the year that Tanahashi won it again to then go on to face Omega. I did like the match. I liked how uh, Girls of Destiny have been kind of cheating a lot recently where they used the title belt shot. Uh, yeah, they used the shot with the title belt uh, on David Finlay to win the titles back. They used it again in an eight-man tag. Uh, it was in a multi-man match at Osaka where Tanahashi pinned, I think, Tangaloa that goal and his earned this shot. They had uh, Tanahashi looked like he was going to pick up the one with the high fly flow. Yeah, Gado pulls the referee out, or sorry, Jado pulls the referee out. They use the belt shot, doesn't work. And then Tamatonga accidentally hits his brother with the title belt. And then uh, another high fly flow and the champions win. I, I think it was a big, like, given that was the main event, it was a good, like, like go home, like, happy, like, win at first. And then also you had the attack afterwards. I don't mind them beating the tag champs. I mean, you've got them, maybe a G.O.D. rematch, you've got them versus uh, Dangerous Tickers, as we mentioned. And uh, Finn just seemed annoyed that Tanashi and Abushi kind of slid into their like their spot, which they thought they should be in getting their rematch. So I think, as we said before, they're establishing new contenders in the tag division and uh, they're making things a bit interesting. Again, rather than always relying on... Uh, G.O.D. and Ewan Sonata they were doing at the end of last year. Yeah, it definitely makes a fresh change. It's it's going to keep things interesting going forwards. Mm-hmm. We round off the new beginning with the main event of Osaka for both championships, the IWGB Heavyweight and Intercontinental titles. We had Kenta against Naito. We had Kenta coming out to a chorus of booze, 11,000 people booing Kenta out the building. He came out with all of Bullet Club and uh, Gino celebrating like, oh, look, all my friends are coming down. I should be up there with them. And uh, <laughs> they're all doing the two, three line. I'll just do it from here. And but then they all got kicked out before the start of the match. I'm going to get your thoughts in a minute. But honestly, for me, Naito matches can kind of depend on who he's in the ring with. But for me, this might be my favorite Naito match ever. It it was a, it was an absolute solid match. Yes, the Bullet Club shenanigans were there, but they were kept to a respectable amount. And mm-hmm. you can feel there was a palpable tension between them. And, you know, Kenta had been getting in Naito's head, you know, interrupting his big moment. And the match got suitably brutal. Nice mm-hmm. bit of colour on Naito with that exposed mm-hmm. turnbuckle. Oh, yeah, I didn't expect that. that. That was a lot of blood and obviously... We did get our interference. We got Jay White coming out, but mm-hmm. Bushy came out to kind of balance that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then he got taken out by Jay White, and then we had Toromo coming out to kind of force Jay to the back, and then it get things two on two again, or one on one again. I did like the start was kind of kind of annoying the crowd a bit, kind of taking his time around the outside. First five minutes were basically guys kind of stalling, but it kind of made sense rather than just, like, stalling just for the sake of it. You had him walking around there, they try to lure Naito in, but then Naito just goes and does the same thing to him, kind of frustrating him. You had Kenta with such brutal kicks, like, he hits hard, and I remember watching this thinking, you forget how short Kenta actually is, but he makes up for it with how powerful his strikes are. And then you had, like, them take on him taking off the turnbuckle pads, which left to three exposed buckles as exposed just to one, and then that's how Nigel got the colour 
and he, he was wearing that proverbial crimson mask, as commentators like to say. But I did like how when uh, you know specification for Kenta taking the uh, the turnbuckle pad off went. Oh yeah, when Yano does it, it's funny. But yeah, when Ken, when Kenta's doing it, he's he's looking for he's looking for a vicious. And I mean, Naito had to go and dig deep. He had to go and pull out some absolutely like brilliant moves from his repertoire, things like Gloria and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it was it was a hard hitting match. It was it it was even better than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. A lot of these big moves, they had to finish the match with a very well executed kind of counter uh, of the end of the disc. You know, again, as I said there, if you're not going to use a finisher to kind of finish the match, then don't have them actually hit the move. And they did that with the GTS, which is a, a very solid move. And instead of wasting it by having Nigel kick out of it, they had him counter the GTS into the reverse Rana because he felt like if Kenta hit the GTS, that would have been it. But Naito came into the reverse Turkin Rana and then again, as I said, a very well-executed Destino and Naito, the first ever defence of both titles as you'd, you'd probably hope there would be but I think they did a good job of making Kent a, a viable threat as he should be and like, so it wasn't like overly predictable but Naito goes on with both titles and after the match, as they tease actually early on after her own lose match uh, they made it official at the New Japan Anniversary Show, which will be on the 3rd of March. The main event will be, as tradition, a, the heavyweight champion taking on the junior heavyweight champion, which in this case will be LIG stablemates Naito and Hiromu facing each other. And they had a kind of a nice segment after the uh, the match in Osaka, kind of teasing how much they both wanted this match. Yeah, that Naito's been teasing it ever since before LIG. He took Hiromu under his wing. Um, sent Hiromu out an excursion to Mexico. Naito made it clear that he wanted to become a proper main eventer in the long term that could headline a Wrestle Kingdom and get the belts. Hiromu wants to prove that he can match Naito. Keeps him wanting Naito to put the belts on the line just so he can be a triple champion. It's the the banter between them is really quite fun to watch because they're playful. They're like brothers, like even back Year, going back a couple of years like Naito would torment Hiromu with things like when Naito was a G1 winner he'd keep on hitting Hiromu with a briefcase <laughs> and it was quite funny when Hiromu was just sitting there one time in the ring and Naito just kicks the briefcase along the side of the ring and hits Hiromu square on and it was just it was like two like an older brother and a younger brother playing and yeah, it, was, it, it just it shows how much the one and plus that selfie that Hiromu took after the match in the backstage area Night looks like he's dead, and her room is just like, I'll take a selfie. <laughs> yeah, and I love how this tease that kind of like, yeah, we're stable mates, but you know, we're not going to hold anything back. Like, yeah, that club after LIG won in a six man tag on one of the New Japan Road shows, you had uh, uh, trying, to, kind of trying to get the jump on Naito, and also that club got shared around. And uh, it got shared in our group chat, and we had to explain to some people who don't really watch New Japan, like, no, this isn't a heel turn from Hiromu, this is just teasing the, the junior heavyweight champion, be the heavyweight champion, which is a tradition in New Japan. Because obviously to an outside like, viewer, you'd think that Hiromu was trying to turn on Naito. I, I love it because it's the last two years, the traditional match has been Okada and Osprey both years, which have been fantastic, but 
I think Naito and Hiromu is going to be something completely different. I think it's going to be a different beast. It's going to have a different psychology and just a whole different feel. And I think it's potentially going to be even better than what those were. Yeah, because you think they've done it before. You think, are they going to do it again? Then you realise, the moment you realise, wait, that would mean LIJ v LIJ, then that ramps up the interest a lot. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about that next month. Uh, one of the last things I want to talk about uh, in the month of February in New Japan was these New Japan roadshows that we talked about, kind of sandwiched between two big retirement events for New Japan. Also, we've already had the the retirement of Jushin Liger. It seems to be so far 2020. It seems to be the year of retirements in New Japan because first off we had the Tiger Hattori retirement event. Tiger Hattori, a very notable referee in New Japan, has been a referee for New Japan since. Like since the eighties, he started refereeing, and he's going to other promotions, but he's always been a part of New Japan in some way or another over the years. And he refereed his final two matches, uh, and the show in Kurgan Hall on the nineteenth of February. The first of these matches was Colt Cabana, Toriyano, Kota Ibushi, and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Bullet Clubs, God, Jay White, and Bad Luck Valley. And then the final match that he refereed was Sanada, Shingo, and Naito beating Okada. Ishii and Goto and a six-man tag and then also he had the retirement ceremony afterwards and then on the 22nd of February when the last shows of the month was the Nakanishi retirement event where Nakanishi has been on a run through the New Beginning Tour and then the shows leading up to this alongside some of his cohorts, kind of the older statesmen of uh, New Japan like uh, Kojima, Tenzan and Nagata all teaming together uh, kind of the third generation, I believe they were called, and they went on quite an impressive run. Like in the shows leading up to uh, Nakanishi's retirement, they beat Suzuki Gun, they beat members of LIJ, they beat, they beat Bullet Club, but then they would uh, finally lose in Nakanishi's last match, as you'd expect he would lose in his final match, you know, going out on your back. They would lose to the team of Hiroki Goto, Kazuchika Okada, Koebushi, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tanahashi in his post match, like, comments was tearing up because he came into the company in 99, was kind of training with Nakanishi the same year Nakanishi won the G1 Climax and how much Nakanishi meant to him and he taught him shit so it was a big moment for that it was a weird kind of final match for Nakanishi I thought when I first seen it given that they'd beaten like the Bullet Club and LIG and lead up to it but I think when you hear like of Tanahashi and then Okada before him talking about how much Nakanishi meant to them and to New Japan, it kind of makes sense why those guys would beat Nakanishi in his final match, and also these are established guys that are going to be around the company for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, they, they played back on the history that Tanahashi and Nakanishi had back in 2009 with some of the spots in the match, and Nakanishi's mad turn where he started to he hit Yuji Nagata accidentally hit him, so he started using Nagata as a weapon against everyone. That was so <laughs> bold. And uh-huh. when when they put Nakanishi down, they done it with pure emphasis by the fact that he took all four finishers back to back: a GTR, Kamigoi, Rainmaker, finishing it with the high fly flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the way you want to do it. Like making all four guys on the other team looking great on his way out, and then he had the retirement ceremony following. And I was looking up some of Nakanishi's accomplishments and. He, he has done a lot like 
in '95, he won the Young Lions Cup before then going on an excursion to WCW, where he was known as Kurosawa, as part as managed by Colonel Robert Parker, and I believe at the moment uh, Nathan and Chris over on the Monday Night Rewind also wants to play Street Extra, are kind of covering that period of WCW. So you're going to hear them maybe talk a bit about his time as Kurosawa and WCW. He, as I said, won the G1 Climax. He's a former IWGB heavyweight champion, former six-man champion, along with Tanahashi and Taguchi. He won the IWGB tag team titles a lot, a number of times. Once with uh, guys like uh, I think Kojima, and once with Nagata, who again he was team worth on his way out. So again, this kind of final match was a lot of history for Nakanishi on his way out, and. I think it's nice that also they honour these like legends on the way out, and uh, um, it's nice that these guys are happy. Like Liger was and how Nakanishi was, they're happy to lose to established guys in their final matches. Yeah, I mean they've the, the retirement ceremonies for like New Japan just feel different from anywhere else because you do the proper everyone comes out, but they keep it quite good. But all the faces come out with a flower. Mm-hmm. They give the big ceremony, the big proper. It just it just feels different from like when you do retirements and like usually WWE and that they have the match, but there's not like a big ceremony or what for it. There's just that's your last match, that's you on your way out. Yeah, I mean also WWE it's very rare for referees to have their own real identity and yet New Japan put on this entire like retirement event for one of their senior referees. So that kind of shows how important like like the Tiger Turi was to New Japan. Yeah, and it was definitely it was it was a both ceremonies were brilliant and both cards were you could argue throwaway to an extent that they have no like story impact but they're just fun. It's something for the fans. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I know we've been going for quite a while, but as we said at the start, February was a big month for New Japan, and we're going to almost preview what we're going to be talking about next month uh, in March. We talk about how. At the start of March, on the 3rd of March, that will be the New Japan anniversary show and the main event we've kind of just talked about. And then from the 4th up until the 21st of March, the month will be taken up by the New Japan Cup. And we've talked about some of the big like matches that are going to be happening over the course of that tournament. But we've got the bracket here that got announced uh, today before we recorded. And I'm going to read out the bracket to you now. Going from the top of the left-hand side onwards, We've got Togi Makabe versus Jeff Cobb, who we've talked about could be a big card match, the winner of which will go on to face the winner of Tomohiro Ishii versus Tovanari. Um, uh, we bracket that would suggest we're going to see some tag partners fighting each other because we're going to have Toriyano versus Chase Owens in the first round, the winner of which goes on to face the winner of Colt Cabana versus Bad Luck Valley. Uh, a very surprising big match for the first round, which is Kutuchiko Okada versus G. White in the first round, winner of which faces the winner of Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki. We have Just Robinson versus Alex Coughlin. I believe I, pronoun- I hope that pronounced that right. Who is one of the LA Dojo like standouts? Winner of that will face the winner of David Finlay versus Tanga Loa. And working my way down from the top of the right hand side of the bracket is Hiroshi Tanashi versus Taichi against the winner. And the winner of that will face the winner of Koei Bushi versus Saxe Jr., as we discussed before. We have Sanada versus Mikey Nicholas, the former 
Nick Miller in NXT as part of TM61. And the winner of that will face the winner of Paul Osprey versus Shingo Takagi. We have Hiroshi Tenzan versus Yoshihashi. And we have Carl Fredericks versus Kenta. The two winners of that match. Those two winners of those two matches will face off. And then the final part of the bracket in the first round is Hiroki Go versus Yujiro Takahashi. Winner of that match will go on to face the winner of Kojima versus Evil. So a lot to take in there. Something that I didn't notice until I was watching another review of the the bracket and someone pointed out that Carl Fredericks again another LA Dojo standout, which means you'd be a student of Shibata. And the fact that he's going up against Kenta could be very interesting given that Kenta kind of turned his back on Shibata who kind of brought him back into New Japan. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's a whole lot of story within a lot of these matches that we'll be able to we'll be able to dig into in the next show, and really there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of interesting things to talk about on it because there's a lot of good stats. New Japan themselves have put up a great preview telling you even the singles records of some of the matches, mm-hmm. which is great news. Yeah, like we talked about lastly, last year they expanded it to a 32 man tournament. It's a single elimination tournament, and it's the same this year. Jay White is in the tournament this time last year. It was the winner of the tournament gets to face Jay White for the title at Madison Square Garden. That ended up being Okada winning it. And Jay White's had this chip on his shoulder ever since that all they expanded it just because they were so desperate to find someone they beat me for the title. And also, as I said, the fact that Okada won last year's New Japan Cup to face Jay White for the title, and now those two are facing each other in the first round, I think they're trying to set up the idea of you don't know what you should... You don't know what to expect in this tournament, which spells are going to be a lot of surprises to come in the next month or so. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot, and that's why it's just it's going to have to get a whole show of its own just to cover that initial field. It's ridiculous. I love it. I know, and I can't wait till next month where we talk about it. But before we go, Grant, we're going to try something new here where we think we look at our favourite match of the month in New Japan and while they took all the Pro Resu Award and I was thinking if you wanted because obviously there's so much happening you could give your award to either to both a match from Sapporo and a match from uh, Osaka or a match from the New Beginning Tour and a match from the New Japan Road if you felt like there was just too much to just give it a one match If I was going to go top matches I would definitely say Shingo and Ishii. That was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabre Jr. and Osprey and Hiromu, not, not Hiromu, sorry, Suzuki and Moxley. I'd kind of put that as my three main choices as like mm-hmm. best matches of the month. Yeah, like I said, I would, my three of my main choices were probably going to be the three like main matches that I know Saki like the last three matches because those were going to stand out, but I think I'm going to give my award. I was, oh, Jesus, it actually is really hard now that I think about it. I think I'm going to give my, I'm going to give my Professor award to the main event of Osaka because I knew what to expect with the other matches. This match I was, I was optimistic about. Again, I said with me, when I watched Naito matches, it depends on who's in the ring with. And again, this might be my new favourite like Naito match that I've ever actually seen since I've been watching New Japan. So for that, I'm just going to give it to the main event of Osaka because they had kind of everything you kind of needed 
had the drama, you had the blood, you had the interference and all that, and the right person won in the end. So I feel confident given that. That's a good choice, definitely. Yeah. So, as I said, this has been a long episode, but we've had to cover a lot of stuff in February. In the March episode, we were going to be talking the anniversary show and the New Japan Cup. Now, there's 10 days between the uh, New Japan Cup and the show on the 31st of March, which is Sakura Genesis, which, where I believe that's where the winner of the New Japan Cup will get their title shot. I was thinking, uh, Grant, that we'd do the New Japan Cup and Amber show and the March show, but we'd save Sakura Genesis for the April show because that way we can talk about Sakura Genesis, give that everything, give that attention it needs. We can talk about the New Japan involvement at Supercard of Honor during Mania weekend, and also most of April we taken up by the Wrestling Dontaku Tour, so we can talk about any developments there. So I think that gives an even like spread across the next two months because it allows us to primarily focus on everything that's going on in the New Japan Cup in March, rather than also having to focus on security agencies. We save that for April. Oh yeah, we've definitely got a ton to cover over the next couple of months, and New Japan has not taken their foot off the gas at all this year, so we've got a busy year ahead of us. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's almost like they don't care about like people who have to follow this for the podcast. They're just going to go pale to a bed. I mean, I'd even get to mention the fact that they announced uh, during July they're going to be going back to like, near the Sapporo area, kind of going to some smaller towns in the month of July. I think that's kind of make up for the fact they can't really run in the bigger cities because Tokyo's got the uh, Summer Olympics this year and they can't do the G1, so that's kind of tying them over there. And then and on the 22nd of August, I believe it is, I believe it's the same night as the SummerSlam weekend takeover this year. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is going back to uh, to Madison Square Garden, so a lot of big developments are happening right now. Yep, and we've also got the strongly reported rumours that we might get New Japan back in the UK. London, they're talking October. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for it because I will be there again. It was incredible last year. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to be there if I got the chance. Uh, also, we're going to get developments and more news later in the week, but they announced at a press conference recently that they're opening a dojo in New Zealand, which uh, should be interesting because also they've got likes of uh, Jay White, they've got people from Australia and New Zealand like on the roster, so it kind of makes sense that they're opening another expanding in that area. So uh, we'll talk about that more when we get like, more details on how that's going to be done. So the only thing you have to do is uh, remind everybody to make sure if you like, enjoy what you're hearing here on Suplex VGX, you to subscribe. It's on all good Android podcast sites. That'd be Anchor, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And also like our main feed, Eat Suplex Retreat. New shows coming out every week, uh, interviews and everything. We're only a few weeks away from Mania. And here at ESSR headquarters, we've got a lot of things planned lead up to Wrestlemania and remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram it's all at Suplex Retreat and all that's left to do is to thank my co-host Grant Robbie it's been great as always Thank you again, I'm always loving this and I can't wait for next month already Yeah, me too Like, always feel like we've got so much left to do but you know, we'll get cover that when we get to it so from all of us here at Suplex Retreat thank you and we'll talk to you next time